0: The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following works, The Walking Dead, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Queen's Gambit, and The Woman in the Window. You've been warned.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We're your hosts.
0: I'm Dr. Richard Green.
1: And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green.
0: Thanks for joining us. Welcome. So what, are we, what do we got going?
1: Well, today we've got our second episode of interviews from the Pup Culture Association.
0: Nice. So this is the second of three or four, some still yet to be seen. And um, two interviews. So first up is...
1: Jason Burke Murphy. Jason Burke Murphy grew up in Arkansas. He's an assistant professor of philosophy at Elms College in Western Massachusetts, where he teaches ethics, political philosophy, social justice, and philosophy of sport. Murphy has written on sporting glory in the context of soccer, on Star Trek, and on the meaning of life. He's on the executive committee of the U.S. Basic Income Guarantee Network and has written on the policy debate surrounding basic income. As for chess, Murphy plays often but would urge you not to bet on on him winning.
0: (laughs) Okay, to the interview. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Oh, well, thank you all for having me. So, um... We're interested in what you're talking about um, this year at the PCA.
2: Well, it's a fun group, Um, Popular Culture Association. uh, You'll just see, um, well, you'll see an interesting dynamic where you have fans who are academics who decide to pursue some theoretical questions. Mm -hmm. And so you have a nice, uh, the impact of it is you get people who are starting to read some new stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've ended up reading more about philosophy of television film uh, because I knew I wanted to go back uh, to this conference.
0: Well, we went for the first time at, a couple of years ago and, and vowed to go every year um, going forward because it, it's such a great event. But then there was a pandemic, so I think right. I I jinxed it um, somehow. But yeah, it's a fantastic group.
2: It's also a nice multicultural um, uh in a way that's very productive. So I've, I've just enjoyed it and I presented on sport at one um, soccer mainly and uh, some animated film uh, secret of Kells that same group, the uh, Irish studio cartoon saloon just made Wolfwalkers, mm-hmm. which was an Academy award nominee. So I'm oh, yeah. following nice. them. Yeah. And I end up arguing they're not just good. They're really, really good. That's about all I'm doing really. I <laughs> a philosopher with that. <laughs> and then Queens gambits what I'm doing this time. And when I initially said, don't watch it, don't watch it. And then I said, don't write about it. Don't write about it. The reason is chess is a long history being portrayed in just miserable ways in television and movies. They'll play like four moves while they're talking. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Bond. And then the fifth move or fourth, it's ridiculous, right? Checkmate. Right. Uh-huh. Bru- like, oh. Brilliant
0: people doing a fool's mate, you know, to other brilliant even, chess players. And- yeah,
2: yeah. you'll even watch, and it's not even that. And it's like, you know, and you'll see even movies that are pretty good, right? For some reason, have to do this. Like, it, it's a little weird because enough people in the world know the rules.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: they've played enough to know that um, this game takes a while. I mean, it's part of the reputation of the game. Um, so I just said, I, I just can't watch another movie where they you know, play five moves and then the other, also, if you're any good, you're not surprised by checkmate.
0: Right. Right. <gasps> yeah.
2: Right. Oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. That's happened to me. Right. I mean, right. That's happened to me not that long ago, but you don't submit me in a movie as some sort of strategic genius or whatever they're trying to do when they use the device. So finally people start saying, no, 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 you, you gotta see it. Gotta see it. And what I'm saying, I'm not going to write about it. Um, my concern was that there are just tons of think pieces are on the way. I could tell this is the kind of show, or am I really going to be able to add to it?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I can't help it. I'd done some mm-hmm. writing about sport and what can make sport compelling. And I was able to bring some of that into the piece. There's a lot of reasons to watch this mm-hmm. um, series. Sport, I've found, presented better than most movies. And we also get a presentation of care. It's a very different topic, right? Mm -hmm. But I found it done in a very compelling way throughout the series. And then their really skillful presentation of sport, beauty, and care um, squeezes out some of the concerns that people have brought to the series. Um, women in chess now are treated much more uh, aggressively, more viciously uh, than they were in this series. It was never mind going back in time. I promise you, women in chess, um, online chess almost always use a pseudonym. Um, but women in tournaments are going to get abused verbally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And has this just, been
0: going on the whole time? I know there are considerably more women in tournaments than there were. Is, it, is this right. just something that that
2: has the never gone away? Yeah, the best description I've seen of it, uh, because it goes into multiple levels, it was an anonymous, again, that's the interesting part about this, an anonymous blog entry in L.I. Chess, or L.I. Chess, which is a really popular chess website where you can play. Right. So that's where I play most of my matches. And this is a blog entry called Invisible Pieces. And the writer goes into the experiences of some named players, some well-known events, and those are contemporary players. And dishearteningly, she quotes, um, like, I can't remember her name, but the Fide, which is the fest chetoration uh, FES I'm sorry. Fide, which <laughs> is a good the fes um, but the woman in charge of uh, women in chess, and the quotes from her are extremely disarming. Like she just says, nineteenth um, century neuroscientific explanations for why. Um, you know, the top 100 players only one's a woman, and she says, well, you know, women have things in their mind like babies and flowers.' So oh, it's oh, that wow. bad. Like this is someone whose job is your job to promote women in chess, and she just she isn't. You know why? Because they don't want her to, right? Like yeah, they found an apology. She wasn't. She wasn't fired for saying that. She's still there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's a, probably the first place I would go to look into how bad this can get. Would be that uh, blog entry, Invisible Pieces. Um, but so the series doesn't go into some of that. It could have, it could have had the boards flipped over Mm -hmm. again, because there are enough people competing in a tournament for whom losing to a woman is some kind of giant problem where Mm -hmm. if you're organizing a tournament, you need to know this and prepare for this. But in Queens Gambit, we don't see that she wins and everyone thinks it's awesome because she doesn't just win. She wins beautifully. Mm But she wins at a very high level and people got to see that. Um, And I thought that was really cool. It -hmm. happened more often in the series than it happens in the real world of sport. But why not see someone who was Kentucky state champion, just lost it Mm -hmm. and thinks it's great. Why this was a good game and I've got to play somebody really interesting. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, So, yeah, so I um, I, when I, I glommed onto that because I think it's ethically interesting to see this game not presented as a skill builder, as chess is sometimes, as philosophy is sometimes sold to, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know other faculty members. Mm-hmm. Hey, we can get people ready to argue and write and the skills that they need. It's the uh, yeah, we certainly
0: tell that to the students right um you're you're not going to make a career of philosophy most of the time coming out of our institution um, you're not going to make a lot of money doing it, but you are going to develop these skills and maybe they'll translate into other things so
2: and I tell my students that too I train a lot in fact we have a we we only have a minor and our folks who are enjoyed who come back tend to major in uh, bioethics mm-hmm. we're developing an ethical leadership minor but um, yeah, yeah, we say it's a transferable skill, argumentation.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But I also say, um, but I, I barely care. We're actually going to try to actually do philosophy here mm-hmm. because you're going to get more skilled if you really want to get some of it, if mm-hmm. you really worry about it. And if you let it get to you, you will develop the skills you need to get more of it. Um, so we try to actually I mean that's the goal anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Get a hold of an argument and let it make you crazy for a while. and some of it could be could be Plato, could be Descartes, could be contemporary something could be some interesting gender theory work that's out there. Whatever gets in your head, I'm excited about what will flow from that mm-hmm. and chess is again, there's an analogy here, right chess has in the series queen's gambit there are many figures some who don't get it at all right but there are many figures for whom they can see there's something happening here and they want to be part of it so the russians who are playing have careers at stake
3: mm-hmm.
2: but they also want to see the game played well mm-hmm. you see a crowd outside they're posting the game i mean um it's really fun sections right where we're seeing chess fans kind of gather and act like sports fans um
0: yeah and in the final match right with all her friends watching back home i I thought that was one a a really great take on friendship um and you know when some of those friends have been adversaries but they had that thing that you're sort of describing where all of them you know were rejoicing with her because they wanted to see it done like that that well
2: they were friends in a complicated relationship right yeah got intimate Um, she's had difficult moments. She's facing addiction, trauma, and they respond with care Mm because they care about her, but they also have something that they can work with because all of them care about this game and getting Mm -hmm. her to win and sharing kind of what they know. Right. So yeah, I loved it on the phone when they're prepping her, Mm -hmm. here's your position, here are all the possibilities. And I did think it was an outstanding presentation of uh, care and friendship as were also others. I mean, um, I think about the sense of dread I felt in watching the first episode where she's being taken to the orphanage Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, it's gonna be another, um, another thing on Netflix that I'm trying not to be flippant or cynical, but um, I'm I was worried they were just going to portray cruelty. Mm-hmm. right? This little girl's about to be viciously abused. in ways you've seen on other things, right Super, superhero stuff on Netflix where you just see people just viciously abused. Um, and I said, all right. But I did we didn't see that. We saw um a decent orphanage it was not an inspirational place definitely not right mm-hmm. it couldn't get to a certain level of care but they weren't evil
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i thought that was a i thought that was interesting
3: because yeah. it would
2: have been the easy thing to do would have been to have one abusive employee there after another
0: yeah, yeah you end, end up with it. a mentor right um
2: yeah somebody sure. in that
0: and then um and the, the friend in the the care relationship that develops over and many I, years and
2: i've avoided going into even the book as i'm writing because i wanted to stick to the series because i knew i was impressed by it uh but i found out that in the book scheibel who gives off a sense that he's dealing with that he has not had it easy mm-hmm. right and in the book it's stated that he's a holocaust survivor he's dealing oh. with trauma mm-hmm. and chess is one of the ways he's dealing with that
3: yeah
2: oh, wow. um
0: I'm well into the book at this point, so yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, I I will be soon. It's a summer thing I'm going to do. In fact, I was was just worried I'd have to write twice as long an essay. um,
0: (laughs) And for the PCA, they don't give you that much time, right? That's right. 20 minutes, including Q&A, you're
2: in, you're out.
1: That happened to me with the Handmaid's Tale thing I was working on. The Testaments came out. Oh, and then, sure. wow. <laughs> It just became much longer.
2: Yeah. Yeah, a whole new book by a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's not like you can say, oh, Margaret Atwood. Eh, come on. What's what's a Margaret Atwood book? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great line where Scheibel says, um, let's see, I may not get exact. In Truth Child, let's see. I wrote the quote down a lot see to tell the truth of it, child you're outstanding right so we've got them playing she proves to him that she's interested and can see some of the game all right she says talks about being able to look i can see some of the game but i need you to tell me the rules and he realizes oh um and that was again we're seeing things in chess we haven't seen on tv or film
3: mm-hmm. right? we're
2: seeing him talk mm-hmm. about how many moves it takes
0: yeah, great, in the book, great detailed discussions of just what goes into strategies. Yeah, you know, it's sort of Moby Dick light with the whaling lessons. Um.
2: I, I, yeah, There's an interview on, I'll have to find it, uh, Jennifer Shahad, S-H-A-D, uh, uh Shahad is a U.S. player, and she runs uh, YouTube, again, part of this new world, of Chess. Um, and she's interviewing Gary Kasparov about cause he was hired for as an advisor and the amount he struggles with the book he's got, he wants to do exactly what the book says happened in the game. And he's got, he's finding actual games and having positions similar to those. It's really fun mm-hmm. to read that oh, yeah, wow. a lot of, uh, dedication to that. Um, the, this moment where they re- say the truth of it is you're outstanding sport Depends on a reference to truth to work. Hmm. So hmm. we watch a match. One team won; the other one didn't. You can't really repeat it again. It's not like a, a you know ballet.
3: Mm-hmm. If, if ballet.
2: Mm-hmm. If you go to a ballet and it's a completely different ballet than the one last night, mistakes have been made.
0: Yeah, the understudies in and.
2: We're so-, <clears <clears <throat> so, <far. laughs> so the. But, of course, in sport, these outcomes are not determined. The rules are set, and we're going to see what happens. And it's not at the event we've attended. That's one reason we don't want players to cheat or stage these things, if they just script the ending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in that reference to truth is important, and there's a history of sport having a funny relationship to truth. So Heather Reed uh, wrote, it's just a nice textbook introduction to the philosophy of sport. And uh, she referenced about her research there. You do hear stories in Greek texts of Kings who made everybody watch them win the race. Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody knows you better slow down. You can't just run ahead yeah. of this guy. Yeah. yeah, And it doesn't work is what the Greek literature said, right? You're looking ridiculous by using your power in this way, to make everyone say you're the fastest runner. Um, but think about how many times sport has been mobilized to take the glory because these events are glorified. You put a, a spotlight on them. You mark time. I won. Yay. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. lost, blah. right? There's a moment here that's being given this drama, and this um, energy. Uh, you televise. You make it big. Um, think about rowers in Oxford and Cambridge that wouldn't let anyone paid to row ever compete. Mm. So they are people working. They're like rowing. They're like rowing weighted object goods to sell. Mm-hmm. They are going to win this race if you let. No yeah. way. It's a gentleman's game, mm-hmm. and they get all the glory, et cetera. And the Oxford-Cambridge race is still put on British TV, and everybody thinks it's beautiful, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because they're finding other ways to harvest that glory. When soccer is initially founded, it has to be a gentleman's game. They lose that pretty quickly. But Mm -hmm. what are they doing? They're staging the glory for them and theirs. Yeah, yeah. And there's a way in which chess is clearly being mobilized, hoarded, uh salvaged and again this piece invisible pieces this anonymous blogger who felt she had to stay anonymous um is being done along a gendered line
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and in the queen's gambit we don't see all that abuse but i'm sort of glad we instead got to see what it could be like
0: Mm -hmm. Like
2: highlighting the glory of the sport Nice. Well, on on
0: that note, um, yeah. thank you very much for joining us, and um, we um, look forward to talking to you again. And hopefully, one of these years, our, our paths will cross at the PCA in person. So, um, absolutely, yeah,
2: absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm. It's nice to know that next year it will be in person. I, I really, really, really think that. So we'll be seeing each other soon.
0: Excellent. So,
1: all
2: right. Take care. Until then. Oh, That
0: was awesome. Uh, who do we have next?
1: Next we have Siobhan Lash, who is a second year PhD student in the philosophy department at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. Her interests primarily lie in philosophy, politics, and economics, and environmental ethics. She is currently a Mellon Fellow th- through the Mellon Fellow graduate program in community-engaged scholarship, involved in a project with Tulane Environmental Law that incorporates philosophy, politics, and economics. Her article, The Nightmare Before Christmas and Moral Responsibility, was recently published in Philosophy Now's December 2020, January 2021 edition.
0: Hi, Siobhan. Thanks for joining us today.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Cool. So is this your your first time at the PCA or have you gone there before?
4: No, this is my very first time, so I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, it's a great conference. Someday I hope you can get there in person um, with a nice group of people and... Um, lots of fun. So um, your paper seems exciting. I got an advanced copy or it's published, right? So congratulations on the, the publication. I've looked it over. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty fun stuff. Do you want to tell us what you're doing at the PCA?
4: Yeah, sure. So I'm doing my presentation on moral responsibility in the Nightmare Before Christmas. And there's sort of a funny background story to this. So I mm-hmm. feel like it's important to tell it. So um The Night Before Christmas is really important to my life in general, because I really struggled with suicidal ideation for 10, 15 years, actually 15 years now. And The Nightmare Before Christmas was a film that I went to. I don't know why Um, it was just a film that I went to that helped me through that tunnel of depression Mm -hmm. each time um, because suicidal ideation is something that people typically deal with their entire lives. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm all about the spookiness. I have a tattoo of Jack Skellington. Oh, little, awesome. Like uh, three turds. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. it, it's know, interesting how tattoos tell so much about who we are. Um, I, like an idiot, got a ukulele on my arm. <laughs> so um, I, I could have gone for something more ambitious. But
3: uh,
4: <laughs> I love it.
0: it. it's me. Anyway, go on. Didn't mean to interrupt you.
4: No, it's okay. And uh, so after I had graduated with my master's, uh, I taught at Delgado Community College here in New Orleans on the West Bank, and I was teaching free will and determinism, and I had used Jack Skellington as an example. And after the class, I went to my boss, Angela, and I was like, hey, is there an article about this? Because I think it'd be so cool and interesting for the students to read uh, while they're checking out these, you know, sort of complicated Uh, philosophical concepts and it would be fun. And she's like, no, but maybe you should write it. And you know, I was like, huh, yeah, maybe. And so we cackled and like moved on. And then I went home and I was like, maybe I should write a paper on this. And I was actually nervous at first, because I'll be honest, when I was doing my master's, uh, Frankfurt's essay, I had interpreted so compellingly wrong that I ended up with an A on the paper because I had, I had argued so well <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that they, they love the novel take or something like that right so yeah.
4: and I was so embarrassed like I buried the paper um and I was like okay I'm never going to do this ever again and so I was like well you know what would be a great idea is to tackle this essay again with The Nightmare Before Christmas because it's about sort of redemption and Mm -hmm. so it gave a crack at it and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to see if people like this. And I had submitted it and actually forgot about it, especially because the pandemic happened a few months later. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was really excited that it got published. Um, But I wanted to add that just because it was, you know, that's important in that it was redemption in, in lots of ways. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. the Christmas. And uh I thought it was just such a perfect illustration of what Frankfurt was getting at as well, to be honest, because there is a subtle difference between the uh, principle of alternate possibilities and what Frankfurt's proposal is and his is that you know there has to be a reason. The reasoning behind it has to be their own. So the set of circumstances may prevent them from being able to do otherwise, but the reason is their own. Mm-hmm. And,
0: yeah, oh, oh, oh yeah. Let me, um, just before you go on, we've we talked about um, Pap before on the podcast, but um, my belief is nobody listens to more than one episode. So do you want to do you want to just give a brief bresee um, of what the principle of alternate possibilities is for the oh. listeners?
4: yes so the principle of alternate possibilities yes is that if uh someone is morally responsible if they had the ability to choose or not to choose to do something um so conversely if they lack a a real ability to choose between the two options then they cannot be considered as morally responsible for their actions
0: yeah and this is a platitude that goes back to 1,000 years before the pre-Socratics. I mean, until Frankfurt, it was just unquestioned, right? This
4: is the gospel truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was like, I don't agree with that. And it was really controversial. And uh, so, you know, I really loved that part about it too, which was why I was so heartsick that I had misinterpreted it the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, So his... His nuance here was uh, so interesting to me, especially with Jack, because I was like, what a perfect person. Instead of like Smith and Black that Frankfurt uses in his essay, I was like, man, that is so boring. Mm -hmm. uh, That's really hard to relate to. And especially if you're not acquainted with philosophy, it can be um, hard to like it for it to pique your interest of what's going on here. And that subtle difference. And so why Jack Skellington, I thought, was so compelling is because... He has all of these spooky circumstances around him that make it to where he can take over Christmas, right? He is able to employ all of his citizenry to be able to, you know, sew the toys or make the toys, the spooky toys, get the slave for him, and get the Santa suit. Um, however, the circumstances also preclude him from doing it successfully. Um, he, he has really no other choice but to ruin it. And so...
0: So it's kind of a, a special case of lacking free will, right? Just something about his nature,
4: mm-hmm.
0: even at, even in a u- universe where there might be free will, he's compelled, right? That's the idea that makes it a little more interesting than Smith and Jones and right. e- evil neuroscientists and implants and things.
4: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I thought it, you know, jack skellington is tired of being the pumpkin king so he's really interested in being santa claus who he calls santi claus Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh so the so he's interested in taking over christmas but he's not interested in the possible consequences so he's just you know tunnel vision of like i really am interested in doing this because i am no longer fulfilled doing being the pumpkin king um so his action of taking over the crisis uh, is his inclination to do so is not the consequences. And I keep highlighting that because this is what's important with uh, what Frankfurt is talking about, too. So he does it because he wants to, not because he knows he will be successful or not. And this goes into the necessary conditions and the sufficient conditions that are surrounding these circumstances and actions. So. Him to have the red sleigh, uh, the red sleigh sorry, the sleigh, the red suit, and the presence are are all necessary conditions for him to be able to take over it, but they're not sufficient conditions for him to be successful at it. So um these circumstances, the sum of the circumstances prevent him from being able to do otherwise, right? He can't unspook himself like uh. Ne- jack skellington is spooky that is who he is he is the pumpkin king he uh can not be anything but spooky but halloweeny so his christmas siku coup uh is going to be sort of like a spooky christmasy coup mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so under these conditions according to frankfurt then jack should be considered morally responsible for ruining christmas despite his circumstances making it impossible for him to avoid ruining it. And this is because Jack did what he did because he really wanted to. Uh, he was totally unconcerned with the fact that he had all of this disaster in the background, and when Santa Claus is freed, you know, he he's tasked with, Santa Claus is tasked with demucking up everything. He has to go do damage control and, mm-hmm. you know, untraumatize a billion children. <laughs> And Jack is like here chilling out in Halloween town trying to catch a snowflake. Uh, so,
3: <laughs> right, right.
4: So he's completely just um, oblivious to the consequences. And so that's why I was like, wow, you know, Jack is perfect for what Frankfurt is getting at here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% of the inclinations necessary on, on Frankfurt's view. Awesome. That, that sounds great. So um, I'm looking forward to the presentation. I want to talk to you about one other thing so um when we spoke before you mentioned you were doing sort of cool philosophy and pop culture stuff in your intro class um yeah. do you mind sharing that
4: yeah of course so uh when i was an undergrad one of the most uh i guess striking lectures that i had was by professor david rondell and he had shown a clip of stephen colbert and that makes me feel so old because now i i know kids won't know that reference really. Um,
0: so you, like, you can I'm imagine how I feel when I start talking about Buster Keaton with my students and
3: <laughs> <I>
0: feel <laughs> literally ancient, but yeah, go on. Um,
4: so I thought, wow, what a great way to convey a sticky uh, philosophical concept uh, through sort of the culture reference that we all know. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not Totally that much older than my current students. So hopefully my pop culture references still make sense. And I thought it would be fun, especially during the pandemic, uh, because it's overwhelming, it's stressful. We're literally literally presented with death more than we're usually presented with death mm-hmm. um, in our own, you know, mortality. And so I was like, well, why don't I do like uh do you know I hate Kant. I'm sorry, I'm maybe I'm the worst philosopher on the planet, but <laughs> So
3: you know,
0: the, you're not alone in this. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the people that have had to read him that hate him, the people that don't like his ideas that hate him, there were the people that knew him that, that hated him, right? So, <laughs> I, feel so you're, I think you're in good company.
4: Oh, good. Okay. Because I always feel like low-key self-conscious about that. So I was like, okay, how can I make concepts like cons that are important and discussed in a lot of literature uh, interesting and it really conveys the central concepts and I thought well why not do it through the hunger games um <laughs> you know have comp be the main character so be the captains mm-hmm. and then all of the characters are coming from all the rest of the characters are coming from the districts and so like Socrates would be from district 13 or whatever right and mm-hmm. so you would students would have to come up with the correct bio. So I was trying to contextualize the philosophers as well, because what I see in intro classes, <clears throat> excuse me, is that students will be like, oh, this theory is dumb. Why not think about it this way? And it's like, well, there may be some pitfalls in it, but it's important to think of it contextually at the time. And then within the framework, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we have a different foundational uh you know, knowledge about things than they did at the time, which is important to to, uh, to consider when looking at these theories. And so I thought that would be such a great idea. So I had the students do that, and it was really fun for them because they got really intense and competitive.
0: Uh, which mm-hmm. was, nice. Uh, That's the goal.
4: Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah, so I did that also with uh, doing uh, The Walking Dead, showing a clip of The Walking Dead and Carol killing Lizzie. And I asked them, well, who's moral in this uh, instance? You know, is is Carol moral because she's killing Lizzie? Because Lizzie killed her sister? Um, and then I added, you know, well, Lizzie thought that if she didn't shoot them in the head, then that they were technically still alive because that's what she was taught, was that you had to aim for the head in The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, they're still alive. Um, yeah. So who's moral here? And, you know, I always like to ask that question before I show it, like, who would be moral in, in this example? And then I show the clip and now, and then I ask, well, now who do you think is moral? And the students are always like, oh, wait, you know. Saying it, yeah. It's been my So,
0: So the, the big question then is, who who would win the Hunger Games if it were all, um, you know, philosophers as tributes?
4: It was, it was really fun to see. So Kant came out. Uh, on top a lot, and so did Socrates. Interestingly, mm-hmm. um, you know, the students were so creative uh, with how they, they were, you know, convincing us uh, why Socrates or Kant would win. And uh, I had some real storytellers in there, but uh, for the most part, it looked like Socrates and Kant came out on top.
0: Oh, interesting. I'd like to see Socrates kill Kant, that, that would be amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> So the so the smart money, of course, is on Schopenhauer, just for his, you know, general mean spiritedness. Um, but Wittgenstein, you know, wields a handy poker if if you know that story. So um okay. yeah, it would it would be interesting. Well, cool. That that's a really great experiment. I'm I'm gonna steal it and and use it in my class. So um yeah. thank you very much for talking to us. It's it's been delightful. And hopefully one of these years we'll actually see you at the PCA when it's back to face to face. So Yeah,
4: um, we'd love that. Yeah.
0: Cool. Take care.
4: Thanks.
1: Okay. What are we liking this week?
0: All right. That seemed backwards. Um, not very many things, but we're not we're not disliking anything. All right. We just don't have a whole lot new to report. Um, so, still loving Mayor of Easttown, and this weekend is the the Series finale. Um, Can't wait to find out how that all plays out. Um, Handmaid's Tale, anything you want to say there? Season four is still great, loads Mm -hmm. of fun. Mm -hmm. Do you like it as much as the earlier
1: seasons? I don't like any of the seasons as much as I like just the basic storyline of the book. But, Uh, but, (laughs) yeah, there's that. But it's, you know, as far as one of these things that's like expanding on a book, I think they've done a really good job.
0: Mm hmm. All right. Schitt's Creek. That's sort of the thing we've been watching the most. We're still binging that. We're, we're getting to where we're just about um, done with it. That, that turned out to be just hilarious, right? Fantastic. Um, and then the other thing, um, the, maybe the one thing that's new this time, is The Woman in the Window, uh, which is um, you know sort of a take on, an homage to um, Hitchcock's Rear Window, for that reason, critics seem to hate it, right? Audiences aren't that um, crazy about it either, right? It's Rotten Tomatoes scores are are pretty low. Um, but I thought it was excellent. Um, I remember commenting to you at the time, right, probably about just the since it got over, I was sort of on the edge of my seat the, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and the twists were good. There were things you could sort of predict. Um, but it was, you know, all within a range of things, and. It wasn't always the most obvious thing, yeah. Um, and especially since it's, you know, they're they're kind of riffing on where right? that some of it has to be fairly predictable anyway. Um, so I'm I'm going to give this a big recommendation, um, even though I think we're out on a limb here, <laughs> and and nobody else agrees. Some great performances too. Yeah, yeah. maybe Adams and cool. Okay, right. That's a wrap. Um, episode 54 is in the can. Uh, big thanks to our guests, um, Jason Murphy and Siobhan Lash, for joining us this week. We'll be back um, in a couple weeks um, with another episode live from the Pop Culture Association. Um, we appreciate you tuning in. If you're interested in sponsoring us, go to our webpage, I Um, Click on the little tab that says Donate. And um, then you can um, contribute through Patreon. And your support is greatly appreciated. See you next time. Cheers.